Fire up tigers. What happened? Fire up tigers, Jordan. That's what happened. <laughs> Fire up tigers. So LSU, Brian Kelly, the, the, the sweet Cinderella's. No one, no one could have predicted that this by the bootstraps, mid-major <laughs> LSU football program with some unheard of coach, Brian Kelly, coming in there and winning against Alabama. What a, what a Cinderella story, fellas. Who could have seen this coming? That's right. Yours truly. Well, what's the title of your new book? The key, what is it? The key to creativity, LSU, the key to what? what, what what's the new headline? Can't spell Kelly. Without key. LSU, the key to chaos, right? Killer chaos. I'm still reeling about the fact that we had Golick on last week and we still didn't pick Notre Dame to pull up with the big underdog upset <laughs> against Clemson. Yeah. That's just uh, malpractice on our part. I can't believe you think you can get away with lauding LSU after mocking me for rooting for and picking USC all these weeks. It's oh, a, God. Oh, my God. I have to redo this. The over LSU Again. wasn't ranked. They were not ranked. They were not ranked preseason. Don't make me side with Tom, Peter. You know, the thing that every, everyone said about Brian Kelly is true. <laughs> He's a bad dancer. He faked an accent. He left for the money. You, you, I mean, you've seen all the criticism, but so they won. Congratulations. Okay. I, I don't, I don't begrudge them the win, but I mean, come on. I mean, rooting for LSU as an underdog has got to make you feel a little icky, but they did get us one step closer to chaos, right? We've got the four undefeated teams, Michigan or Ohio State's going to lose. We just need a, a, a TCU loss somewhere, one more upset, and then I, I don't know how we're going to find four teams to be in the playoff. I want that. I need that. Inject it into my veins. Jordan, if TCU loses, then who's the fourth team? Tennessee, <laughs> Oregon. Mm. Mm. They're already fighting over who had a worse loss to Georgia. So right. it's, it's great. Right. It's getting tasty. Eight to shoot. Paul, the runner. Loose ball. It's good. With 4.4 to go, Shannon, don't want to fall, Shannon from the corner, and it's over, Gonzaga, the flipper still fits. The cry goes up both far and near for underdog, underdog, underdog. Joe Namath, number 12, has been the one big sideline. He's come down here and he says the Jets are going to win. In fact, he doesn't even predict it. He says, I guarantee a Jet victory. Oh my kid, I ain't even in the guys league. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. Underdog, underdog. They're bigger, faster, stronger, more experienced. And on paper, they're just better. Oh my goodness, the longest shot has won the Kentucky Derby. Rich strike and a stunning, unbelievable upset. Shock and awe in college basketball. Underdog, underdog. I expect you boys to go out there and not take this team lightly because I promise you, they're going to come at you with everything they've got. Nobody's ever gone the distance with Creed. 11 seconds. You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. Morrow, up to Schultz. Five seconds left in the game. You believe in miracles? Yes! George, the dream is alive. Speed of lightning, roar of thunder, fighting all who rob or plunder. Underdog, underdog, underdog. Well, then I guess there's only one thing left to do. Win the whole fucking thing. Welcome back. 
to Underdogs. We are so happy to be here with you. I'm Jordan Brenner, alongside my co-hosts, Tom Haberstroh and Peter Keating. We have yet another great show. All our shows are great. Wind up for you a little later. It's the moment you've all been waiting for. Our first look at Giant Killers for the 2022-23 college basketball season. Our original claim to fame, the thing that brought us all together, we're going to find some teams to track through the college basketball season who could be pulling big upsets come March. But first, guys, we are at the midpoint of the NFL season. The one nice thing about adding the extra game is we now have an even number of weeks, 18 with a true midpoint, nine. So I like even numbers. It's a perfect time to sort of take stock of our preseason underdog picks, take a look at what teams have overachieved and underachieved, and who might make some runs in the second half, who's for real. So guys, let's dive into it. Before anyone else, we got to talk about the four teams that really, really exceeded expectations for being losing teams to teams that either are winning records or have a chance to win their crappy division. I'm talking about the New York football Giants and Jets, plus the Falcons and Seahawks. Guys, I want to know if you're buying or selling each of those teams. Well, I'm just really upset that neither of my underdog teams from the preseason are on that list that you just said. So can we throw the Texans in there, Jordan? <laughs> yes. Are you buying or selling the Texans, Tom? I'm selling. If anyone <laughs> would like to take it. <laughs> who's buying? Who's the, who's the other team? The Jags. The oh, Jags. Well, I thought it might be somebody a little bit better than the Texans. To still hey, <laughs> hey now. They've, they've, done, they've done okay. They're back, um, but not quite as back as the Jets and the Giants. Um I think the Falcons are super, super like they, in the most underdog way, the Falcons are emblematic of what this podcast is all about, because I don't really think anyone really knows why they're, they're overachieving this year. Like they've had injuries. They'd have had poor quarterback play. <laughs> Their wide receiver core has been, eh. so like, what, what is, what is exciting about the Falcons? They're almost like, kind of feel like, the underdog that no one really wants to back. Here's the fascinating thing about the Falcons. Okay. They're four and five. They have a point differential of minus eight. Yes. And, and right. Just based on the, on the smell test, you, you know, they've been competitive, but you don't see them as any sort of a long-term contender, even though their division is terrible. However, they have one remaining team that's 500 or better left on their schedule. And the, the, aggregate strength of schedule of their next not uh, next seven games i guess it is, next eight games is 380 so just when i want to completely sell them and say that they're fraudulent they may pick up a bunch more wins just by virtue of playing crappy teams but why would you want to sell them because they're fraudulent they have a point differential of minus eight but they're four and five they're they're perfectly the reason we want to sell them is because we look at the talent and the talent level seems to be one of the worst teams in the league, but, but, but they've played hard. They've been in wild games. They're four and five. If they keep things close, they could easily go, let's say eight and nine, which would be a fairly astonishing development for a team that looked like it could win two or three games at the beginning of the season. So maybe they just, maybe the individual player talent summed up is just a little bit better everywhere than we thought it was. It doesn't mean they're going to, win a tough division, but it just means some of those players are a little bit better than we gave them credit for at the beginning of the year. Well, just look at their next few games at Panthers home for the bears at the commanders home for the Steelers. I mean, 
you got to think they're getting two of those by accident. If they get three, they're a 500 team heading into a big showdown with the Saints. They're going to kind of be hanging around. And it's kind of fun just to say they could be heading into a big showdown with the Saints, right? I mean, they really are of the, of this group. Um, <laughs> there's big question marks all over the field, but they kind of feel, don't they, don't, don't they, to you guys feel kind of 500-ish at this point? Yes, everything. So we're buying them as a 500 team. We're not buying them as a, as a true contender, but legit 500 team. Like if they get into the playoffs, if they get into the playoffs, does anyone feel good about betting them to to win a game? Like, I don't think so. No, I have trouble betting them to score if they get in the playoffs. But 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 I think what I'm trying to say is they they looked so bad to me anyway. I said this a couple of times. I saw a couple of Falcons preseason games and I was like, what are we watching? Like, are we watching XFL reruns or something? But to get from where they looked like they were at when they began the season to 500 is actually, I think, a pretty staggering leap. So I'm buying them as a 500 team. Talking about staggering leaps and teams that looked awful in the preseason, Seahawks, they're six and three now, buy or sell. Gino! I'm absolutely buying. I bought earlier this year. I thought I thought the case was very straightforward. They lost a whole batch of really close games last year, especially down the stretch. They lost a bunch of games by one to three points um, when Russell Wilson was out. Um, the Russell Wilson trade, I didn't think was great, but they did get some talent back so that if they got any decent quarterbacking at all, they were going to be bringing, they, they should have had a roster that was going to be able to do better than they looked like they were last year. And then Gino has been a really pleasant surprise. I mean, it's an interesting bet. Would you have bet on Pete Carroll or Russell Wilson to have been the more important component to their success? I wasn't sure at the beginning of the year, but it wasn't crazy to think the answer was going to be Pete Carroll. And it wasn't crazy to think they got talent back in that trade. And if you put a decent quarterback on top of that, I mean, they've been blowing the doors off in terms of offense. They've been in the top five yards per play team on offense all season long. I don't think you can say that's nothing. And everything else is pretty strong. So I'm buying. So here's the interesting thing. Tom and I put together a beautiful spreadsheet that Peter in no way contributed to at all. Not even, not even the colors. I didn't even pick the color scheme. How do you feel about my colors, you, Peter? You're, you're oh, the shading is beautiful. The great thing about a Tom spreadsheet is the great thing about a Jordan spreadsheet is, is that things that should be in their own columns are always smushed together. Wait, so wait, I did it for you this year. So you kind of have to redo them all. But the great thing about a Tom, no, I did it. Yeah, hold on a second. Try to give someone else a compliment. The great thing about every Tom piece of research is, is that there's some visual hook. There's colors. It's colored and sorted. And the biggest greens are the darkest, right? The biggest numbers in green are the darkest. And the biggest numbers in pink and red are the darkest red. So conditional formatting, baby. But Peter, I put I put wins, losses, and ties in their own columns just for you. Thank you. Thank so, you very much. Speaking of which, the Seahawks, six and three. They've outscored opponents by 21 points. 538 projects again, their Vegas over under before the season was five and a half. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are you saying the Seahawks are already at what you've described Ooh. accurately Ooh. at the midpoint of the season? Are they over their season over under already? Yes. You and I have already. Oh, I've done it with the Jets. You've done it with the Seahawks. That's right. Let's take a victory lap around Tom. Yes. But uh, <laughs> 538 ex expects them to go 11 and six. They're 
Um, their winning percentage of their yeah. future opponents is just 448. Yeah, look at their schedule. I mean, if if this shouldn't be sustainable, it's going to be sustainable because they have a pretty easy schedule coming up. Let me rephrase the question, Tom. Do you buy them as a team that not only will make the playoffs, but could win a playoff game? I'm going to say no, but um, I, I do want to say that uh, the, the Ken Walker draft pick looks amazing right now. He's been maybe the best back in the NFL. Um, if they're going to make a run, it's probably because he's healthy and he's outperforming expectations. It's very rare that we have a rookie running back be this good this early. Um, can, can they win a game in the, in the playoffs? I leave it up to the experts to say that, but I think when you look at, you know, preseason over unders five and a half, how well they do in the playoffs, that would be a really interesting study is are these Cinderella's that overachieve by four and a half, five wins going into the playoffs? Are they kind of fall back to earth once, once it's a different season in the playoffs? I wonder, I wonder what the research would say about that. In contrast to Atlanta, where the talent infusion has made this team better than people would have expected based on not knowing how good players are going to be before they joined the team. It's not just, it's Gino, it's Walker, but also Charles Cross and also Kobe Bryant. I mean, they had a great draft. We're talking all about their offense, which certainly is exceeding expectations, but they've rebuilt that defense on the fly and they're 12th in DVOA on defense. So it's not like they're only winning shootouts and, and not stopping anyone. Uh, and, Jordan, know, that's why I just mentioned Kobe Bryant. I don't know if you were there, but you said Kobe I, Bryant. I, you know, I, I, I usually associate Kobe Bryant with offense. But I have a question for you too. Jets or Giants to have a longer run in the playoffs? Just assuming they make the playoffs, both of them. Who do you like better in the playoffs, Jets or Giants? I would take the Jets for two reasons. Just think about what you just said. I would take the Jets in the playoffs. Just think about what that statement means. Uh, I know. In the grand scheme of things that we're here. We're here in this conversation (laughs) saying I think the Jets could have a good shot. I didn't say a good shot. Does Fireman Ed have compromising photos of you somewhere? I mean, Maybe I have photos of Fireman Ed. Who doesn't? Yeah, he's a beautiful man. I think there's two reasons why the Jets could potentially win a playoff game more than the Giants. A, I think their defense is the closest thing to an elite unit on either of these teams. So on the right day, they can generate pressure. They can force turnovers. Those are the types of things that can let them beat a bigger team, a better team. The second thing is I we've seen it now. We, see, we saw them beat the Bills. I, I love the Giants. Other than the sort of fluky comeback against the Ravens, I'm not sure how they stack up against top talent. What do you think as a fellow Giant fan, Peter? I think for a surprisingly long time, the Giants quarterback has not thrown away games, and the Jets quarterback is capable of just throwing away a game within a five-minute stretch at any time. I don't trust him. Um, think, I think anytime your plan as an offense is not based around maximizing and optimizing what you get out of players, or let's, let's say it another way. Anytime your plan is based on keeping a player under wraps and that's the best way to use them. You're in trouble. The giants are not doing that with Daniel Jones this year. They're having them run. They're trying a bunch of trick plays. They're trying all kinds of things to get people involved in the offense. Are they literally going to the wildcat to get rid of Daniel Jones? <laughs> well, that's better than running the ball on third and 23 to, you know, to, true. To, to, to avoid interceptions. But Peter, isn't everything we've learned when giant killers that against better teams, a high risk, high reward style 
is preferable. So should we really care that Zach Wilson could implode if he can also make occasional great throws? I haven't seen any occasional great throws is what I'm saying. He's just bad. He's not high risk, high reward. I think he's just bad. But that's, that's you know, that's a tentative opinion. He's very young. I don't, you can't just throw him away. But I think the Giants have specialized, as you know, all year in high risk, high reward tactics. And they have actually made it uh, part of their game plan. Now, the Giants have no wide receivers. <laughs> the Giants are a hard team to take. But Kenny Galladay is coming back. It's going to be fine. Well, I have a little bit of hope. I mean, I, I oh, think God. I think the fact that the, I think the Kenny Galladay story have a very different ending than the Kadarius Tony story, right? I mean, you think it's going to be a redemption story in the end? No, but I don't discount it because instead of popping off or continuously getting re-injured or coming back and underperforming, Galladay's just been rehabbing. I mean, I don't know what more you want out of him. The guy's been hurt. So we'll see if he's anything left in the tank. If the answer is anything at all, that just adds to what I'm saying. I think the conference is weaker. And I think the strategy is better. I think the coaching's better. I think Saquon's at least as good as Brees Hall. The quarterback play is great. And the thing that worries me the most about the Giants is Brees Hall. Brees, yeah, he's, the, Brees Hall's out. He's yeah. out for the year. Right. Yeah. Where's the Jets running game? I'm so confused. Does that make sense to you, Tom? So I don't think the Jets, the Jets have no offense. The Giants have an interesting offense. They have a little bit of offense. They have guys coming back from injuries and a weaker conference. Giants all the way. Tom, you asked the question. What's your answer? Uh, I go Jets. Oh, after all that. The Tom Jordan detente today is really strong. After all that, including my complimenting the spreadsheet colors. Their strength, their defense, I feel like that is the best um, I wouldn't say skill, but the best facet of all of these, t- of, of the Giants and the Jets that I feel the most confident about. Um, and I even think this is crazy. I'm going to say that I would feel better about the Jets postseason chances if Joe Flacco was the was the quarterback than Zach Wilson. I just feel a lot better about my chances if I have him in 2022 <laughs> than, than Zach Wilson. So I don't know what that says about my uh, confidence in the jets that I would rather have the, a different quarterback than the one behind center right now. The last time we saw Flacco though, he was really immobile. He was, he was, a, he was, he's just kind of a, not even fair to ducks to call him a sitting duck. He's like a standing statue. Well, let's give the jets the same treatment. We gave the, the Falcons and the Seahawks they are six and three right now. They've outscored opponents by 20 points, Five thirty-eight projects them to go 10 and seven. Their remaining opponents have a winning percentage of 551, including five of them with 500 records or better. So that's why they only have playoff odds of about 58%. And they're in a tough division. Everybody's over 500, the Patriots, the Bills, and the Dolphins. Do you think they're going to get to the finish line? Knowing that they've already exceeded their over five and a half win total that I not only announced on the show, but put my hard-earned money on and have celebrated victory with. I would say fade the Jets. Um going forward, even though I, I picked them as, as a more confident team versus the giants in the playoffs, simply because of that division with the Miami dolphins and Tua um, getting healthy. And then you have uh, the Buffalo bills also in that mix. I would say fade the jets. However, let's see what happens with that elbow of Josh Allen. Um, True. I think there's been reports today, even that he's still like game time decision for this weekend. And if that elbow becomes a problem, then the net, then the New York Jets season blows wide open. Um, We'll see. We'll see. But that injury variable for the Bills is the only thing that's keeping me kind of nervous about fading them. And the Giants, 
six and two. They've only outscored opponents by six points. We know they play a one score game every week, except for the Seahawks loss. Uh, 538 projects them to go 10 and seven. Here's the interesting thing about their remaining schedule. It looks tough at first blush. 587 combined winning percentage of their opponents, but that's inflated because they play the Eagles right. twice more. Here are their next two games. Home for Houston, home for Detroit, which means they really have a good shot to be 8-2 and two going into Dallas on Thanksgiving. Then they have Washington twice still and the Colts at home. If you can win four of those five quote-unquote easy games— you're you're ten and three, and then you anything you do against the Cowboys, the Eagles twice, and the Vikings is gravy. Buy or sell the Giants making the playoffs. Buy or sell the Giants as a team that's actually as good as their record. I'm selling. I'm fading. Is it bad to that I'm fading at like almost every one of these teams here? Um, but I th- just think the rubber band effect, the plexi plat plexiglass principle, as Bill James used to call it. So they're coming coming back down to earth. Saquon's shoulder also worries me. Um, he's been battling through that all season, and I just it's one big hit away from knocking him out for for quite a bit. So I'm nervous about Saquon as the breakout. I mean, breakout. That's not true. Um, Come back year for, for Saquon that I just get nervous about that injury variable and I don't love their schedule going forward. They have two games. Yeah. Against an undefeated Eagles team. The wins are going to be harder to come by and that, that strength of schedule scares me. Peter, I know you break down film of the giants every week. What do you see in your, your analysis in my sleep? Uh, What I find interesting about this team is that they're still very much a work in progress. They make a lot of waiver moves and pick up guys who've been released and try to fit them in and scheme them in. And, and they continue doing that after the trade deadline when they didn't acquire anybody via trade, but they keep, you know, they keep trying out wide receivers, for example. Um, so they're a team in flux. I, they're clearly not as good as their record. I mean, they could get outscored for the season easily. They could also get blown out the doors off by Dallas and Philly, right? And there's, th- there's three tough games. So it's going to come down to very interesting games against the commanders and giants have, have been iffy against Washington in recent seasons, even though we always, as giants fans, we always go into the season thinking, Oh, look, we're better than Washington. And somehow Washington wins a game or two every season, right. Or two. Um, So I think they're going to be good enough to get into the playoffs because of the games you've mentioned. And because also of something you've mentioned before, which is that you can, you can, uh, you can look good because you win, but can you can also start to win because you have a good record, right? The Giants put stuff together where they get another wideout or two. And specifically, if they figure out a lot of this maybe is, like a homecoming from a certain wide receiver, I, perhaps. I'm I'm up for that. That's that would be yeah. that'd be fine with me. Look. Is that a Monty Tumors? <laughs> yes, Peter is sitting in front of the uh, a photo of the Odell Beckham catch. But also they gotta get healthy, not just um in the receiving core, but in for, for their rushing defense, they've been getting gouged uh, on long runs. And that'll be interesting to see what Houston does against them this coming weekend. But so they got to keep Leonard Williams healthy and in the lineup. And then their defense can be really stacked because they're doing great. They're, they're running great plays. I mean, we see that. Uh, so I think they're not as good as their record. They will get in the playoffs and, um, and they're going to have to beware because this is a bigger step forward than anyone expected. So they're going to have to be continuously aware as an organization that they're not as good as their record. That's what's coming up for them, I think. Let me ask one more question before we, because we, I like asking questions, before we uh, shift to second half sleepers, okay? Two other teams that that 
are going to obliterate their their preseason over under, which wasn't as low as the teams we talked about. Both the Eagles and the Vikings were over under nine and a half wins to begin the season. The Eagles are obviously eight and zero. The Vikings are seven one and one. Are two best records in football. Are they as good as their records? Are they legit Super Bowl contenders? Buy or sell, Thomas? Eagles, for sure, legit Super Bowl contender. Um, they don't seem to have a weakness. I loved what Mina Kimes said um, with Dominique Foxworth, Foxworth last week, just on the fact that like each each game, another weapon just kills you. They've got so many different ways to beat you. And I, I always remember when Daryl Morey and Jeff Van Gundy were talking about um, at, at the Sloan Conference, hang with me on this one. The analogy cross sport analogy here is that, um, Jeff Van Gundy, like asked Daryl Morey, uh, or asked the analytics team, like what's our most efficient play. And it was no play at all. It's like transition, like get the ball out. Don't run a play. That's the most efficient play. And Jeff Van Gundy's takeaway was like, well, fuck, <laughs> you know, like that's, that's just not great to hear as a head coach. And Daryl's point was a lot of the improv and the fact that you're unpredictable actually makes you a better team. So having different ways to, to hurt the opponent each time that you add a new variable or another weapon that can beat you, it just becomes so much harder to defend against or to attack. And so the Philadelphia Eagles, by being unpredictably good in every facet, there just isn't any way to, to let up against that team. And so uh, barring injury, I think they are legit Super Bowl contenders, if not the favorite. Um, and they've got they've got everything going for them right now. I don't see how you can kind of fade them as a Super Bowl contender unless I'm missing something. No, and I think I think you're onto something too. I think having a mobile quarterback is still somehow underrated. Um, it gives you, it's like poker. It gives you so many more outs. If things break down to be able to take off and get eight yards on third and seven, uh, you know, I going forward, I, I, I really wouldn't want my team to draft someone who couldn't move. I just think, I understand it increases injury risk. But I just think it, it changes the game in such a dramatic way that, you know, I mean, we saw Justin Fields run for, what, 170 yards last week. Like, the game is changing. Quarterbacks are big and strong and fast. And if you can, you can, you can, you can design so much more in your offense if they can move. And, and I think Jalen Hurts clearly has shown that he's not just a runner. He can throw the ball, too, and it's exciting. You need a couple of things to because that's that can be risky, right? You need a couple of things to make sure you're not a vulnerable giant doing high risk strategies when you when you're this unpredictable. One of them is a reliable outlet, which he has. I mean, Goddard's turned into one of the best tight ends in football. So on these unpredictable plays, all of a sudden you see this massive tight end streaking across the. You know, it, it, I mean, that's worked out great. Um, uh, Hertz has proven to be not only smart but hard to rattle. That's hard to measure until you have some guy running around crazy like that out there. But he's been phenomenal. I mean, and the value they're getting out of him compared to where they drafted him, what they're paying him right now, is tremendous. They also have a really impressive defensive line, which puts the hurt on opposing quarterbacks during whatever stretches happen. they happen to hit where they might not be moving the ball as efficiently as they usually do. It was really impressive against Houston when they were, it was a close game for a while last week, right? But- once there was that one turnover, the pressure on Houston's offense to do something more to keep up 
Philadelphia never relented. That's that's really it was it was it, they're impressive, right? They're impressive. And even if they I mean, what what's the worst you see them going based on on all of this, like 15 and two or something? I mean, that's the worst case scenario right now, right? Well, after the Giants sweep them, I mean, you know, 15 and two is the best they can do. That's the two. <laughs> Am I right in, in assuming that we're all sort of um, selling the Vikings as a legit seven and one top of the line team? Yeah, let's just see here. So they actually, 538 has them going six and three the rest of the way. Um, they have an above uh, average strength, remaining strength schedule of a 526. They've got five remaining winning teams on their schedule. Uh, 538 still has them as a, as going 13 and four. Um, I would bet the under on that. Um, I just, uh, I'm not a huge fan of Kirk cousins, despite his shirtless dancing, uh, over the past week. Um, and I just, I don't feel really great about that, that team, especially going up against the Eagles, much like the giants, they've won six in a row and they've all been by one score. Um, I think the at game at the dolphins it's probably the most impressive of that bunch, but weren't they outgained? They probably should have lost last week against the Commanders, and four of those games were home games. So I, I need to see more before I believe in them as well. Yeah. So we can we can there's there's a cell that makes us all feel good, right? Yeah. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Let's pivot to the second half, guys. Is there anyone that you see who's been either off the radar or even has a losing record right now that you see making a big leap in the second half of the season? Well, there's this plucky underdog that no one has ever believed in. It's a guy named Tom Brady. Climb the mountain all over again. Yeah, it made me sad. It made me sad when I saw this pop on the spreadsheet. Hitch up, hit the mules, climb the mountain, put them in the wagon. It's all, it's all, it's all, it's all, it's all ready for him to go to run downhill the rest of this year, right? Tom, explain the depressingly positive case for Tampa Bay as a second half sleeper. Well, I mean, they have a pretty easy schedule going forward. They have the fourth easiest schedule, uh, 429. 
Uh, they got a few remaining winning teams on their schedule at 538. It projects them at nine and eight. Um, they, it's just the division and the fact that Tom Brady is still the quarterback. Um, I just, they, they haven't played horribly. I mean, it's, it's, it's difficult to bet against Tom Brady in any circumstance. And it's just when, it, when you look at the available dogs or the available teams that are not doing well, um, they have almost even point differential on the season. So it's not like they're, they're lucking their way at to a four and five sketch four and five record. It's just, to me, it's, they got a pretty easy slate going forward and Tom Brady under center and their, their receiver core is healthier. Uh, Godwin's back. Um, and they also, I mean, Mike Evans took a pretty big hit last weekend, but he looks to be healthy going forward. I think a lot of the the drops that you're seeing from the wide receivers, I think there's just going to be a lot of positive regression going forward for Tom Brady. And so I'm buying the Tampa Bay as his second half sleeper. Something is still broken with their offense, though. I don't know if it's just the offensive line. Brady himself doesn't look as good. He's getting rid of the ball, perhaps because of the pressure that the line is giving up. He's dumping the ball off more. He's getting rid of it quicker. So even though he does have playmakers at receiver, they haven't been able to utilize them as in the past. The defense isn't bad. Uh, I'm with you that I I think they'll probably win that division because it's so crappy and because their schedule will allow it. But I don't see them as a team that can make any noise in the playoffs. No, you're right. They're they're now a flawed team, but they're probably still the best team in the division. And I think Tom's point about drops, drops look terrible. They make a date. They, especially if they come at a crucial point in the game, they stick in our minds, they affect our judgment, but they're not, they're not in a, in a, in a negative way. They're not predictable unless somebody just has the drop season. Then he basically drops out of the league in a year or two, if you just can't hold on to the ball. So just regression on that, just the receivers playing a little bit better, just playing to whatever talent level they have, it's going to make them look a lot better, make Brady look a lot better and a lot happier or a lot more positively driven. Anyway, Tampa Bay has a league leading 19 passes dropped tied with the Miami dolphins, which is scary that the dolphins receiver core could actually be better um, than they've shown. So there is a little bit of evidence that Tom Brady has had some really bad luck this year. Meanwhile, if you, if you want a team that's really poised to make a big second half run, it's not a team with a losing record. It's the Baltimore Ravens. Absolutely. They're six and three. Okay. But they've got eight games remaining. The worst combined record of any team in the league for their opponents, 353. Only one team is above 500. And keep in mind, the Ravens aren't far from being undefeated right now. That's right. They were up 10 against the Giants in the fourth quarter. They had late leads against the Bills and the Dolphins. Those are their three losses. I mean, that's. It's scary to think about, and then you start to look at their next few games, the Panthers, the Jaguars, the Broncos, the Steelers, the Browns, the Falcons, and on and on and on. Well, then, well, wait, wait, wait. Then Pittsburgh, then Cincinnati, and that's it for the season. The next few games, that's it. it's their entire remaining schedule they could win right, right through. It's So, I mean, this is a team that I actually think will finish, especially if Josh Allen is, is to miss any significant amount of time, they'll finish with the top record in the AFC. Uh, legit Super Bowl threat. And Tom, I know you think there's a betting angle on this too. Run. Don't walk. Run to DraftKings right now to grab plus 1,200 MVP odds on Lamar Jackson. Somehow, still, I'm looking at it. Patrick Mahomes, yes. 
the favorite to win MVP, then Jalen Hurts at plus 250, Josh Allen plus 350, which probably is going to lengthen a little bit because of the injury question mark. And then Tua is even ahead of Lamar Jackson in the MVP. That's crazy. Tua's missed two games. Lamar Jackson, yes, he hasn't been peak Lamar Jackson this season. I think a lot of that is to due to injuries to his receivers and Rashad Bateman's out for the year. Um, which is not great for his chances to win MVP, but look at that schedule, Carolina, Jacksonville, Denver, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, uh, Atlanta, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati like that. He could run the table for the rest of the season. So, um, Lamar Jackson plus 1200. Did I can't remember. Did either of us on this show pick Lamar Jackson as a underdog MVP. Oh, I'm, I'm so, I'm so glad you asked because the Ravens <laughs> were my Super Bowl pick and Lamar Jackson was my long shot MVP pick. And I'm beginning to think before we get to our other MVP picks, I'm beginning to think, uh, we're not going to talk about the other, uh, oh, sleeper MVP picks. I'm beginning to think that the, com- I don't think we are the combination of the schedule and the receiver injuries is actually going to be a big boost to Lamar's yeah. MVP chances because the narrative you're saying because his running patterns over the last couple of weeks have been insane, like huge gaping holes that he takes beyond full advantage of. And it's crazy that he's at plus 1200 like Seattle, except kind of in a capital instead of a lowercase way. The Ravens case at the beginning of the season was pretty straightforward. They lost a bunch of close games. Their quarterback had been hurt. Once he came back, it was easy to see the pieces falling together the receivers being, I mean, Baton being out for the year, I mean, that hurts. But um, but I think they're, and and then they, the crazy close, insane losses they went through at the beginning of the year, they're about to go on a huge tear with, with Lamar leading the way. So and that's another, it for football, so we don't have anything else to talk about. Oh, Jordan, you're not getting away with this. I'm uh, not going to let this happen. Tom, who was your who was your Super Bowl pick and MVP pick? Do you remember? Uh, that was that was the Cards and Kyler Murray. Okay, all which, right. Still in play. Kyler Murray. It's, it's still in play. And and Jordan's, do we remember? Is, is... I, I didn't make one. <laughs> no, I think it was. I... Uh, what was it? I'm trying to think. Was it possibly Matty Ice and the Indianapolis, Indianapolis Colts that just fired their head coach yes. out of the blue and hired Jeff Saturday, who has no coaching experience? And benched their quarterback, mostly for financial reasons. Yeah, imagine getting your MVP and your coach not only not – neither has a job. I, I'm terrible. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I can't live this down. This might be the worst pick I've ever made of anything in my life. And I picked Peter as a writing partner. Well, yeah, that's the, (laughs) (laughs) that is the football gods compensating for your run, uh, at, on the weekly dogs. You might not be able to predict the dog on the MVP race, but that is an amazing, amazing fall from grace for Matt Ryan and, and the Jordan Brenner household. Um, I want to talk about this. Do you think it helps them or hurts them that they're bringing in a coach who has no experience coming in. This seems like a wild card. This seems like a chaos play. This seems like something the underdogs podcast would really like. Shouldn't a guy named Saturday be coaching college football? Yeah. I thought about that. I mean, if you never coached before you take your jobs where you get them. The internet hates this move for a variety of reasons. Is there a, is there a counter argument to make here? Of course there is. Number one, (gasps) everyone thinks Jeff Saturday is smart. Nobody has anything bad to say about him per se. It's not like they hired Jack the Ripper to be the coach. So everybody should just come. He's the defensive coordinator. Should just calm down a little. Secondly, don't you guys think there's a little too much 
mystique built up around the culture of the the the, the culture <laughs> the cult of the authoritarian coach like the the coach has to be the master of the universe and everything he touches and have these walls of secrecy and be belichick like in his you know his his impregnable commentary please it's a football coach maybe you go out there have some fun run some plays see what happens it can't really hurt what they're doing because they're an inept organization in chaos with, which is losing week after week after week without a functional quarterback. So why not? I mean, I, I just think I, I, I think a lot of the objections about having to earn the job are based in a a, a misplaced reverence for just how you know mysterious and awesome and Wizard of Oz like head coaches have to be. Maybe they just have to have some fun and call some plays. I mean, and it is an agent of chaos for a terrible team. So I, I, I'm finding the outrage misplaced. I think he just needs to bring in some coffee and here's why this fact was brought to me by the action network. I was reading up on them. Uh, the Colts this weekend, this stat is astounding. The Colts biggest struggles this season have been in the first half. Indianapolis is and nine against the first half spread this season and have lost 11 straight games against the first half spread dating back to last year, 11 straight losses against the spread in the first half. What is that about? Well, that really speaks to coaching because that's the scripted part of the game too. Exactly. And actually they used to do very well in the scripted part when they had Nick Sirianni on staff, who's taken that to Philly. Wow. And when they had Peyton Manning on the roster, they did particularly well with scripted. They did, right? Um, so again, uh, is there anywhere to go but up? If if the first series of plays every single game, the plays determined by your coach, you're getting the doors blown off you? But Peter, you don't find this offensive from the standpoint of minority coaching hires that that guys like Brian Flores get screwed and you know a guy like Jeff Saturday can walk in the door without any experience and and immediately get a job like this. All right, well let me tell you why I do and why I don't. I think that there are very you're right, there are a very small number of teams who give the keys to a new head coach who's not white that are already good. Right? Most times if if you take a look at when black coaches in particular get hired, it's teams of the disasters. It has always had the stench of, well, we're ready to try anything. So we'll try a black guy. Now I have, I, I know the specific examples better in baseball than I do in football. You look at the teams that Frank Robinson or Maury Wills, or even Dusty Baker early on took on. It was because the team was trying to get some goodwill somewhere by hiring a former player who had a good personality. When's the last time a black coach get to get to take over a really excellent team other than what's going on right now in Tampa Bay, right? Where Bruce Arians was clearly conscious of that and set up a transition, very mindful of that. But how many teams can you say, oh yeah, we're 13 and three on our coach retired. So we're going to give, uh, we, we, we've groomed and brought up through the ranks, black coaches, and we're giving our excellent team a chance to be a, a black coach, a chance to coach an excellent team. Right. Like if Andy Reid walked away tomorrow, would Eric Bieniemy take over? He hasn't, he hasn't landed a job yet. Right. 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 So in some ways when a disaster team, right. Like the Colts gives some guy a, a job. I, I I don't know. I mean, yes, they should, they should interview everybody who's qualified. They should interview non-white candidates, but I can't be upset about a black coach, not getting another, yet another job, 
with a crap hole organization that they keep him around as an interim manager. You think Lovey Smith's going to be here when the Texans get good with all their draft picks next year? I hope so. Right. It feels like he's just there to kill time. That's right. Well, to kill time and to gain the organization credibility. Right. Because they don't have it on the field. That's what they use black coaches for. So let's hope Lovey Smith gets to stick around. If Lovey Smith sticks around. You know, would, would you rather see Lovey Smith stick around with the Texans or be hired by the Colts? I, I don't blame Jeff Saturday. And and I, I, I will give the Colts this. If they truly think that Saturday is some sort of transformative coach, I mean, you probably would have made this move not in season. But if, if they really think he's some budding superstar, yeah, you owe it to your team that you have to give this guy a chance. But I just don't feel like there are any black candidates who are being given that same treatment, right? Who Who is, there has to be a black equivalent of Jeff Saturday out there. Why isn't that guy being given a chance to come in and take over a team and without any experience? And that that's where I think the trouble standard. I'm sure that's true. All I'm saying is we have to be willing to say there are serious jobs, serious teams, and, and not have the Colts be part of that conversation. I mean, the Colts could have hired anybody. What the hell is it going to matter? They're going to get rid of him at the end of the year. They don't draft well. They don't play well. Um, I think the, there's serious organizations making serious decisions with long-term ramifications. That's where I personally get upset when they, when organizations like that are serious and good organizations still look like they have no room for black coaches. I mean, this whole, the whole, the cold, situ- whole cold situation is a joke. I just don't think it's worth all this outrage. And I think it could end up being some fun for what it's worth. Jordan, the Colts are at plus six at, the Raiders this week. Are you going to take? You have the number one pick in the weekly dogs. Are you going to take the Colts plus six with Jeff Saturday? Not only do I have the number one pick, I believe I have the lead still. Is that accurate? Oh. Oh, wait. Wait, I forgot to say, yeah, I'm still in last, but that gap is closing, fellas. I had a great week, and it could it was this close to being the best week we've had. We all had pretty good weeks, right? Yeah, there are eight points on the board that we collected last week. Um, the Eagles decided to just let the Texans scoot right in there into the getting co- uh, covering the spread there. So, Peter, you picked up one point there. And also, you just got in the nick of time there with the Falcons plus three and a half, and they lost by three. So you pick up two (laughs) points there. Jordan, you got the Lions, of course, upsetting the pack. They got two points there. But me, I just missed the Titans pulling off the huge upset, going into overtime against the Chiefs. I could have collected six points this week. What would we call that? A double trifecta? No, it's a double, what is it? A double, double, triple? A six pack of some sort? Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Just missed the six pack. Uh, Because I... I got the Jets too, uh, making the upset over the Bills, uh, winning by three. So I collect four points. The scoreboard is Jordan 20, Peter 18. Oh, myself at 16. I'm closing the gap. Oh, it's close. I need another big week here. Jordan, I'm picking right behind you. I'm waiting to see who you're going to select with your number one pick this week. Well, I can't, I got to limit the number of points you can get, but I also think the biggest line on the board is also the best line on the board. I'm going to take the commanders plus 10 and a half at Philly on Monday night. I just think this line's too big. It's a divisional matchup. I think the commanders have been a relatively live team. Most of the season, you know, their last few games lost to the Vikings by three, beat the Colts by one, beat the Packers by two, beat the bears by five, lost to the Titans by four. 
not a lot of great teams in there, but they're competitive. And I think that, you know, whether it's a backdoor cover or more likely they just keep this game relatively close, uh, a 10 and a half spread on the road in a, against a divisional rival like that when the when the commanders are not a terrible team is is just too high. So give me the commanders. Devastating. Was that your pick? That was my pick. Yeah. Of course it was. Look, the, the the commanders have covered in four straight. If you count that it was three and a half last week, they won by or they uh, lost by three. Um, they've won three out of the last four. Uh, most of the money is coming in on Washington this week and mm. not the undefeated team, which is very rare. Um, as we know from our friend Danny Sheridan is people love betting the favorites. And so you have the favorite of favorites, the undefeated team, uh, and the commanders seem to be getting a lot of action there. So I was going to take them plus 10 and a half as well to get the super boost of the super dog. Have you guys ever been a super duper weenie in Fairfield, Connecticut? No. Is it worth it? Off of 95. I, I don't want to hear about your super duper weenie. Oh, it's delicious, Jordan. Super duper weenie. Uh, right off 95 in Fairfield. Go check it out. Ever been to Dickie D's in Newark? You know what? That's what we're going to call it. We're going to call it the super duper weenie whenever you get a, an underdog winning uh, with a 10 and a half or a plus seven and a half spread, like more than a touchdown. Well, there's one more. There's one more on the board, Tom. Or is that where you're going? Um, it is not where I'm going. I'm going to go Minnesota plus four and a half at Buffalo. So you are basically assuming Josh Allen will not play, correct? Too much value right there is that Josh Allen. uh, I just think that is really, really, really appealing to me from an underdog perspective. It opened at plus seven and a half. It went as, as long as plus nine and a half. And now it's settling in at plus four and a half. Um, I expect that to continue to go towards a pick and perhaps even a Vikings favorite. If Josh Allen can't go, who's, who's the backup case Keenum or something case Keenum revenge game, baby. Oh, come on. Don't, I don't, you know what? Now I'm scared. I'm scared about this Keenum to digs to beat the Vikings. I mean, you can't script it. 83% of the money is coming in on Minnesota. They've covered in four straight. Um, Josh Allen is questionable with the elbow injury, hand injury, whatever you want to call it. He's having a tough time gripping it. But I did see that he threw the longest pass in like next gen history <laughs> at the end of the game after injuring his elbow. So maybe it's not that hurt. I don't know. Um, so I'm going Minnesota plus four and a half. It hurts to not go for a super duper weenie here. And I will end up taking plus four and a half. I think they'll get this win. All right. Back to back Keatings. Let's go. All right. My first pick. I, I too really liked, um, especially after watching how the Eagles dominated without actually covering last week. I really liked that uh, commander's pick. So I'm sorry that that's off the board. I will give me instead the Chargers plus seven at the 49ers. This is just a large spread. Christian McCaffrey is great. The 49ers look great. The Chargers are capable of scoring a great number of points. I have concerns about, I mean, who doesn't have concerns about the Chargers defense, but come on, our man Eckler has been scoring at a, at a Titanic pace. Justin Herbert's capable of shredding anybody on any given day. Uh, money's coming in. You're like Tom said, money's coming in on the Chargers. Give me the Chargers, who I last week attributed to being in San Diego, I believe, right? That's how well I know them. Uh, so uh, give me the Chargers plus seven. What do you think? Uh, that would have been my next pick. So exactly. Like Same it. here. Same here. All right. And then uh, since that's... Since that, <laughs> and then it gets interesting. And then, <laughs> then it gets really interesting because the number of 
possibilities left his shrinking to some really crazy options. I'll set it up. We have Jacksonville plus nine and a half at uh, Kansas City. Got Houston plus five against your New York Giants at New York Giants. We have the Browns plus three and a half at Miami. Uh, the Colts plus six at Las Vegas. We also have the Packers as a home dog against the, the Cowboys. They're five point underdogs. The only home dog that we have on the board this week. That's your crew. I mean, that's what you got to pick from. So Jacksonville, Houston, Cleveland, Indianapolis, and Green Bay. I'm uh, really concerned about Houston being able to run the ball straight into the middle and beyond against the Giants, but I'm not going to pick against the Giants after everything we talked about. I'm going to go for the the worst team on the board with only 36% of public bets backing them. Give me the give me the Colts plus six at the Raiders. Yeah. The Raiders are in free fall. Each of the last two weeks, I thought, you know, well, they got to get it together and they know they have to get it together and they have the talent get to get it together. And, and Derek Carr has a great game sometimes when they need him to. And they just laid hideous, hideous eggs. There's no Josh Jacobs having a fine year. There's no evidence the Raiders can put together anything they need to win a game. Um, and, and now they're out of it. And this is also a true regression to the mean bounce play because teams that have just hired new coaches are about 500 against the spread. I mean, there's literally nowhere for those teams to go up, uh, to go, but up when you make a midseason coaching change. So they usually go up. Um, so give me the, give me the Colts who are, uh, I think, even though I've picked the lions a couple of times, I think this is the worst team straight up that I have ever signed on to supporting, but give me the Colts plus six. Um, that's a good number of points against a terrible team. I was going to, I was going to go with Indianapolis there too. Um, here's the stat from the action network over the last 20 years, 33 teams have fired their coach in season. Those teams have gone 15 and 18 straight up and 17 and 16 against the spread in their next game. What's interesting about that. You might say 15 and 18 straight up. That's that's not good, but those teams had a 27% win percentage prior to the head coaching change. So the fact that they've gone basically 500 after the coaching change, that's a huge jump. And then they're also against the spread percentage was 37% before the change. And then they go a little bit above 50% after the change. So that, that jump is actually pretty impressive. It might just be, it might just be regression of the mean, but I like that uh, Indianapolis plus six at uh, Vegas. I guess I have to pick here. I'm going to go with uh, Green Bay. This seems dirty to go with Green Bay after how bad Aaron Rodgers and the team has looked um, going against Dallas. They're at home. Great. But just, I don't know. This is just an Aaron Rodgers play. Uh, Green Bay plus five going against Dallas coming out of the bye. Makes me sick to do this. Uh, oh, no. I will, not be rooting for, I will not be rooting for my own pick, but five points is too big. Um, right now for the Giants to be laying to anyone. So I'm just going <laughs> to... The Giants wow. The Giants never beat anybody by five points. Right. So I'm just going to take the Texans plus five at the Giants and hope I lose. Okay. There it is. So Jordan, you're taking the Texans plus five at the Giants. Uh, Commanders plus 10. Oh, man. Can I trade both of mine for that pick? <laughs> Would you, <laughs> would you take, would you take Green Bay and Minnesota and trade it for your first pick? I, I feel like this is the kiss of death on that, that commander's pick, man. There shouldn't be this kind of consensus on it. Oh, so you're willing to trade? Maybe we'll, we'll talk offline. 
Okay, we'll talk off. Wait, line. wait, wait, wait! You can't uh, end up with four picks in the week, though, can well, you? I, I, we're gonna, absolutely we're gonna can. run it by the Muppets. <laughs> yeah, the Muppets. My fantasy football uh, esteem panel that that decides whether to veto or uh, allow a trade. Yes, um, I will. I will connect with you offline to see if you will be willing to make that trade and have four picks. This this smells really dirty. This is like a dump trade. Except Tom's legitimately trying to claim, climb back into it, I guess, for this season. But, wow, why don't you trade number one picks for next year, too? There's no need to fear or quaver. Underdog is here to save her. Underdog. Is it time? There's no time better. Let's talk giant killers, baby. Who's going to be wearing the slipper this year, fellas? Who do we like? Giant killers. College basketball's back. So it's an interesting exercise to try to find teams that are going to pull off tournament upsets in October. And I think it's become complicated by the transfer portal now because there's even less continuity, even in the small programs. They're bringing, they're losing guys to bigger programs. They're bringing in guys from equal or lesser programs, or in some cases, guys who flamed out at power conferences. So it, it can, it can be hard. Um, it can be hard to really go year to year and, 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 and wonder if things are sustainable, but they say styles make fights, and we know that what types of teams do well as giant killers, teams that play high-risk, high-reward strategies. And we've got a couple pegged um, who actually we liked last year. And Why don't we start with the guy who was our first um, our first guest on the show, Grant McCaslin, Ooh. head coach at North Texas. They've got Tyler Perry, one of four key players back. They've added four transfers. We know they play slow. They force turnovers. They grab offensive rebounds. They've geared their style toward beating better programs. Obviously, they have a big giant killing win two years ago. So keep an eye on North Texas. Same conference. I want you to keep an eye on UAB. They've got Jordan Walker, who averaged 20 a game last year back. They've added five transfers, including Eric Gaines, who averaged nine points per game at LSU. So that's you know a legit conference, a legit player. They've mm-hmm. had the Brewer brothers from East Tennessee State. Both scored in double figures last year. UAB could just be a really good team. Like they're they're a team that if they showed up in the top 25 at some point this year, I wouldn't be shocked. They may play their way out of being a giant killer. And the last team is an old favorite of ours, um, coached by friend of the program, Mike Rhodes. I think VCU is going to be back in the giant killing conversation. They've got Ace Baldwin back to lead the offense. They've got a pair of transfers from Michigan and Brandon Johns and Zeb Jackson. Jameer Watkins is working his way back from injury. They're another team. You know, we know they, they're a top five team in terms of forcing turnovers on defense. Havoc is still present and destructive. So, again, watch your VCU as a potential giant killer and and maybe and maybe better. Maybe better like, like UAB. They could pop in the rankings at some point. So those are three teams I want you to keep an eye on as we sort of wade into the college basketball pool early this season. I like that VCU uh, option because I think Dayton is pretty clearly going to be good enough coming out of the Atlantic 10 to not be in a giant killing position, right? Um, It's interesting example, though. It's not just a transfer portal for players. A lot of teams are changing conferences, too. I mean, Loyola is now in the A-10 as an example. you got to keep your eyes on where teams are moving and how they're going to do it. I have a... Uh, a team that's even lower ranked nationally than any of those, but who we really liked early on last year, but unfortunately didn't make the tournament. That is, that's right. The Towson Tigers. That's right. Towson rhyming with, I don't know how you doing, son, not with Lee Rusan, 
who was teammates with Dave Meggett, who went to Towson. That's hey. right. Towson. So wow. there you go. That was, did, did you stay up all night working on that one? Uh, <laughs> Towson starts with T and that rhymes with P and that stands for pool. <laughs> oh, oh, we've gone back to the, to the, to the Tony's episode. Very nice. Here's a stat that doesn't mean a lot in itself, but is really important in this case. Towson is number 20 in what Ken Palm calls minutes continuity. That's basically a measure of how many of last year's players are bringing, coming back in significant roles. It's not that we think having those guys return in itself or having extra experience helps giant killers. It's just that if you have the same coach and the same players, we we have an idea that you're going to play the same style, right? And last year, Towson was 302nd in the country in pace, number nine in offensive rebounding percentage. And they also were really good at shooting threes. Again, that doesn't necessarily mean a lot because Three-point shooting is less important than how many attempts you take, except that when Towson got into the Colonial Tournament, they had a horrible game where they shot four out of 23 on threes against Delaware, got knocked out, didn't make the big dance, and so that all came to a crashing end. But that team's going to play the same style just as well, and if they are not unlucky again in their own conference tournament, they're really well positioned to be like a, let's say, 13-seed in next year's or yeah, next spring's um, big tournament. Uh, I also have to mention Furman. Furman, not just because Furman University professors have worked with us for years on the Giants Killer, Giant Killers Project, but because they take more than half their shots from behind the three-point arc. They've done that for a couple of years now. They're not going to stop. It's their style. They lost that heartbreaking, crazy, memorable game to Chattanooga at the last second, which denied them a spot in the tournament. They haven't been in the tournament since 1980, but this is the year. This is the year Furman's going to win out in the conference, make the tournament, and then scare the hell out of some giant by bombing, bombing, bombing away. And then um, I got one other team to watch that's a big conference team. Jordan always loves to remind me that we need to not only focus on, like, 13 and 15 seeds in the first round, but the teams in the middle of the brackets that could become second round giant killers, right? Your seven to 11 seeds who are going to face teams and be really good that are really, it'd be really good teams that um, they have a shot at beating. I want to mention UConn because right now they're, they're about the number four team in the big East. They're not going to get a one through four seed though. You know, Creighton and Villanova are going to get those seeds. They're regarded as being down there with Xavier and St. John's, but Last year, they were dominant offensive rebounders, and they lost a crazy, uncharacteristic game to New Mexico State, which was an unlikely giant killer because New Mexico State, you might remember it's the Teddy Allen game where they just shot the lights out on threes. So Connecticut's going to be back, bring back a lot of the same players, play the same style. They were, like like we said about Towson, they were really unlucky late in the year. Um, And if their offensive rebounding sustains like it should, but it didn't in that one game. I give them extra possessions and there'll be a very dangerous second round and further giant uh, giant killing possibility from the uh, from the Big East. So uh, what do we got, Jordan? We got North Texas, UAB and VCU. And I mentioned mm-hmm. Towson, Furman and uh, UConn. There you go. Might as well just, you know, fill out your bracket now. Guys, I uh, got a question for you. What are you guys doing on Saturday? I believe you've invited us to a tailgate in... Uh, <laughs> Beautiful Winston-Salem, North Carolina. I'm hightailing it to North Carolina, yeah. What are you doing? There's a, a certain game at noon on Saturday at the Prudential Center, and I'm wondering if you guys are going to both attend and, and report. 
think underdogs think St. Peter's Seton Hall. St. Peter's at Seton Hall. Oh, the, oh my oh, gosh. Okay. Excellent. St. Peter's at Seton Hall. I decided to do a where are they now going way back, way back. We're going to go decades. Nope, not even years. We're going to go all the way back to a few months to a team that enchanted the sports world. The St. Peter's basketball team, the Peacocks, are playing this weekend against Seton Hall. And I wanted to do a little look at our favorite, beloved Peacocks from last year. And where are they now? Because of the transfer portal, that heartwarming tale, and because of the coaching portal, it's going to be a totally different team. So Shaheen Holloway is coaching now at his alma mater at Seton Hall. So it is going to be a, like, was that game already planned? Do you think? Hmm. I would think so. Right. Right. Kind of feel like they already had that on the books, but I feel like if he had, if they had wanted to break it, they probably could have, but who knows? Yeah. Shaheen Holloway is going to be coaching Seton Hall against his former team. How many of his former players did he bring along though? (laughs) <laughs> he brought one Casey Nadefo, the, the oh, yeah. great defensive player. He is coming along for the ride for Seton hall, playing against mm-hmm. some of his teammates, former teammates. Um, but our guy, Dougie Etter, Dougie, he is now at Bryant. And let me tell you guys something about Bryant. I wanted to see if they had started their season and boy, did they start it? Bryant, Opened their season this year with Dougie Edder as the one of their top scorers. A win over Thomas. Oh. So two first names battling it out. Thomas who? Thomas Bryant, by Thomas the way. Bryant, NBA uh, the Lakers. player. <laughs> Bryant versus Thomas. Okay. Here's the score. One forty seven to thirty-nine. If you had Thomas, they won by over a hundred points. Right. If you had Thomas plus a hundred, you lost. <laughs> Can they match that on the fourteenth when they play Maine Fort Kent? Wow. Oh my wow. God. So guys, this is heartbreaking. The fact that Doug has become the giant in such dramatic fashion. He's gone from the plucky underdog at St. Peter's going to the elite eight as a number 15 seed and now joining the big bad Bryant squad that is now beating teams by over a hundred points. So Doug Eddard is gone. Casey Defoe is going over to Seton Hall. Also Daryl Banks at St. Bonnie's um, and two players um, went to LaSalle. So uh, I think six total players players have transferred or left uh, the St. Peter's program. So it's going to be a totally different team against the Seton Hall Pirates this weekend at noon. It's going to be a bittersweet game for Shaheen Holloway, I'm sure. And I, if you don't have anything to do, might be a fun game to go to Prudential Center this weekend. You want to meet us there? Skip your tailgate? Yeah, that's not going to happen. We should uh, we should keep Seton Hall in mind as a uh, potential killer. I mean, they're maybe a top 50 team. They're kicking around the outskirts of the ranks of teams that make the tournament. But I don't think they're rated. Uh, I don't think they're they're in the field in Joe Lenardi's latest bracketology, for example. Also, have you guys ever seen Bryant or their coach? Their coach sounds and looks I don't want to, I say this respectfully, but like Thomas Bryant, no, he's Jared Grosso. He seems more like a caller to WFAN in New York than any coach (laughs) I've ever seen. That's the team that had Peter kiss 
who was like, I don't know how old he great name, right? Great. Maybe the best name in college basketball, but they had a, uh, he scored, I think 25.2 points last year. He led D one in scoring, but he was like at least a sixth year senior. I mean, the guy looked like he was 30 and he was the guy who used to mock the other team's fans. Anyway, Bryant is an interesting place. I think they went looking for some star quality because Peter Kiss finally graduated and, uh, Maybe that's why they maybe they went out and got our, our boy Dougie. 147 to 39. Hey, breaking news in the NBA. We got to talk about real quick as an outro. Jacques Vaughn staying on as head coach of the New, New Jersey Nets. The Brooklyn Nets. We were talking so much about the Prudential Center. I said the New Jersey Nets. Um, yeah, so this is kind of uh, Jacques Vaughn's thing. That's that's a sad thing to say is Kenny Atkinson out, Jacques Vaughn takes over, then he gets rehired to be the assistant for Steve Nash, takes over, and then was going to be booted for Ime Udoka. And according to Mark Stein, they have decided um, there were some powers that be, whatever that means, some powers that were urging the Nets to not hire Ime Udoka. So after he was uh, said to be hired within the next 24 to 48 hours last week, uh, Jacques Vaughn. My sources tell me he had to beat out one other candidate, Jeff Saturday. Oh, spe- <laughs> speaking of which, <laughs> this is not making me feel. Uh, Greg Doyle reporting. Sounds like Colts interim coach Jeff Saturday will not be rolling the fourth down dice as often as Frank Reich did. Oh. Uh, asked his theory on that. Oh, Jeff said, no. quote, I am an O-lineman, bruh. B-R-U-H. Yes, <laughs> Jeff Saturday said that. Um I work awfully hard to get points. I'm going to take points. It's a hard living in there, man. End quote, Jeff Saturday. How oh, this is going to go well. You could have told me that before I defended the hire. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What, what, is that what, what, another trade opportunity? <laughs> Am I going to get also the Colts at plus six now? No, because taking the points will probably be enough to beat the Raiders. <laughs> they could win a nine to six game there. <laughs> I'm an O-lineman, bruh. All right, bro. All right, Jeff Saturday. Good luck. And uh, to everyone else, have a great week. See you next time. Bro. 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 Bro.